Welcome, one and all, to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. Today we are going to look into the television career of a jobbing actor, Ian Fairbairn, 1931-2014, to via the archive of paperwork that he gave into the care of my guest, Andrew Mark Thompson, when he was running the Time Slip website. Ian was possibly never a household name, indeed many of you may never have heard of him, but this archive gives a fascinating insight into the career of one of those, oh, he's the chap from... Faces that kept on cropping up in all sorts of things. Hello, Andrew. Nice to have Hi. you back. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today, we thought we'd sort of talk a little bit about one of those jobbing actors, one of those maybe not a household name actors who people might not have necessarily heard of much, but who had quite a sort of long career on television. And we just thought, because you happened to be acquainted with, were you acquainted with Ian? Yeah, we're talking about a a gentleman called Ian Fairbairn, Mm -hmm. who his name will probably be familiar to Doctor Who fans because he's in four Doctor Who stories. Mm. Or he pops up in four Doctor Who stories. Ian Fairbairn, he was a jobbing actor. He did little bits here and there. He had the occasional speaking role. He filled in for other actors during rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just the job of an actor back in the 60s and 70s was more workmanlike, I'd say. There definitely seemed to be a kind of repertory company going around yeah. half the time. I mean, if you watch any television from the 70s and 60s, the same faces pop up time and again. And it's almost yeah. like they were all living in a sort of three square miles of wherever the filming was going on. Time. I think Ian said Douglas Canfield liked him because he was reliable. Well, Douglas right. Canfield is famous for having his regulars, yeah. wasn't he? To be honest, I think every actor has his regulars. Mm. You know, there's, there's certain people who pop up in certain shows i mean michael hayes the director mm. used peter halliday a lot right because you knew you could rely on them you knew you'd get what yeah. performance you'd get you didn't have to worry about oh is this person coming on for a walk on going to mess it up the entire production yeah. is that that purely stemmed from michael peter halliday being the star of a for andromeda mm. the andromeda breakthrough which michael hayes i think he directed or he produced it i can't remember exactly but it all stems from that and he basically gave peter halliday roles I think it was also different in the sense that people didn't necessarily have, I hate to use the expression big parts, but you know, they'd, if they'd had a large role in a previous series, they weren't too grand to just pop in and do a day for Douglas oh, Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. There was just a bit, oh, it's another job, we'll do it, go in, get, take the money and run, really. You know, to yeah, I mean, you, you will see who you think are major actors in, in small roles, hmm. you know, occasionally. Yeah. So why uh, particularly are we talking about Ian Fairburn, though? Was he a friend of yours? Right. It all goes back to about 2003, 2004. Me and a chap called Steve Hardy, mm-hmm. we put together a website for Time Slip, ah, which you've okay. probably heard of. Oh, yes. Uh, the ATV Kids Serial mm-hmm. from 1970. It was Steve's idea to do it because, right. he, he, as he says, he'd gone online to look it up and found right. very little online. Okay to actually sort of look into no yes. no pictures nothing really and at the time it hadn't been released on dvd they'd released back in the 90s it on vhs yeah very poor quality yeah. and, i think um, there was a, a couple of articles in things like tv zone and tv zone championed it quite a bit yeah using mm. lots, lots of really nice photos which mm. have since disappeared ah Luckily, I've got all those TV zones and I managed to scan them for the, the website. Right. But moving forward slightly, we got the website up and running and we managed mm. to contact quite a few of the original cast. Right. Ruth Boswell, the creator and script editor mm-hmm. of the show, was very kind and put us in touch with a few people, put us in touch with John Cooper, the producer, mm-hmm. a couple of the directors. Mm. Uh, we even got an in with uh, the late Dennis Quilly. 
Crikey. Uh, but he wasn't very well at the time, and oh, shortly after, he, he sadly passed away. Mm. But he did sort of speak to Steve and give yes. his approval and everything of the site. We, we got everyone together, and we did a reunion to celebrate the launch of the website. <laughs> right. Right? Everyone was there. We had a proper family reunion for Liz, Gerald Burfield, mm-hmm. Derek Benfield, Iris Russell, mm-hmm. who played the Skinners sort of mm-hmm. thing. David Graham was there. The two twins who were in it, right. Terry, Terry and Leslie Scoble. Mm-hmm. The only person who wasn't there was Ian Fairbairn because we hadn't found him. Oh, okay. Was right. he living in some sort of obscurity in those days? Ah, this is where I come to the punchline. Okay. Right. We couldn't find him. He'd vanished off the face of the earth as far living as off the grid. Concerned. Yeah. And then Steve had an idea. Right. Right. This is the thing about things staring you in the face. He went to the London telephone directories, back when <laughs> libraries had complete right. every single telephone. And Ian's in there. Crikey. He'd always been in there. He wasn't ex-directory. Okay. There was one Ian Fairbairn, there he was, you know, in London, mm-hmm. and basically found him that way. Phoned up this Ian Fairbairn that was in the telephone, and it turned out it was him. Wow. We could have found him straight away. So we arranged to pop down and see him, just to say hello. Right. On the way down there, we picked up Spencer Banks. Mm-hmm. It was also in time slip and wanted to see him again basically Brilliant. and we went down and spent well a good few hours at ian fairbairn at his house wow entertaining us and telling us all about his career and stuff Crikey. he was such an enthusiastic person mm-hmm. and he actually blamed me and steve for restarting his career to a certain degree. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up going to conventions he did a big finish right but it wasn't the time slip big finish. No, it wasn't the time slip one. He, no. he did a Doctor Who big finish for right. Gary Russell. And Derek Benfield, who played the dad in time slip, was also mm. in that one as well. Okay. Stunt casting for those in the know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, wow. that, that all happened. Ian, whilst we were at the first meeting, Ian said, oh, somewhere I've got all my scripts from time slip. Wow. That's a sort of wow. What's yeah. it? And then the next time we went round, we went to see him to pick up the scripts because mm. he was going to lend them to us. And basically, he gave us all his other scripts as well. Right. He said, if you want those, to use them for research and stuff. Right. Um, and it, he was quite blasé about it. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't one of these things that you would bequeath them later. This was just here, is a box this of was him at the time. He just let yeah. us have them and said you can wow. have them, you know, as if they were cluttering up a room or something. Right. So you basically came into possession of Ian Fairburn's script archive? Yeah, basically, yeah. That's the simple way of putting it. He just sort of gave them to us and said, here, if you need them to... Because he knew the importance of the time slip scripts to us. Hmm. Right, and he was willing to let us have them and put them into... So so they could be kept. Because Steve actually started a sort of time slip archive. Right. Was time slip at that stage... Because it it all exists, time slip, doesn't it? Yes. So it wasn't like it, it wasn't a known quantity, like chunks of Ace of Wands are. People still don't know what the plots are of certain episodes of Ace of Wands. Well, yeah, Ace of Wands hadn't been released on VHS. No. Time Slip had been released on VHS in the yes. 90s, had mm. really good coverage in mm. TV zones. Mm. Those were the two factors. Yeah. And yet, Whereas, no one had managed to find Ian Fairbairn in, in the meantime. Well, you say that. Phil Newman, of this parish, mm-hmm. had interviewed him for mm. um, Douglas Camfield's Tribute magazine. Right. The, um, I think the Dwas produced it. Right. Not to Appreciation Society. And he was interviewed for that. That's all... The only connection that Ian had with fandom as such right. is an interview. And it, and it didn't put him off for life, obviously. <laughs> no, it didn't. He actually, I'll be honest with you, he actually, when we first went round there, he had that on the coffee table in the front room, this thing, and he was quite proud of the fact that he contributed to Douglas Camfield's Tribute hmm. magazine, right? Yes. And I also know every time, this is his enthusiasm, every time he was in Doctor Who magazine, that photo, Mm. of him from Inferno. Yes. All the time, doesn't it? It does, yes. <laughs> um, I'd tell him, and he'd nip out and go and buy a copy. The other thing as well, I mean, we told him, you were a cover star, you were on the cover of the novelisation. Wow. He hadn't seen it, he wasn't aware of it. He wasn't actually paid any royalty. <laughs> no, well, this is the, the strange thing, is it how you can sort of fall that far off people's radar, that these things yeah. would happen. So we bought him a copy for Christmas, and he's chuffed to bits. You know, um, yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, because he would have been, I mean, he was born in, what, 1931? Yeah. So he would have been in his 70s at that stage when you first yeah, met yeah. him. Yeah, so, he was very, very active. 
he was out every day walking around everyone knew him in where he lived he'd lived in that same house mm. since the early 70s right so all oh, got an actor living down our street yeah we've got <laughs> well, he's on the telly tonight he's on the telly tonight yeah well. and he's got a cinema in his front room really that, that's another story that is he oh, converted okay. his dining room oh, it was right. a dining room and a lounge it was an old-fashioned terraced house yeah, yeah and film, he converted film. it to a home cinema right, now so projector film yeah. He had a proper projector there, 16mm wow. projector. He had curtains that automatically closed and opened on a screen. He even had some bucket seats from an old cinema as well. Wow. And a, a popcorn for sale sign. <laughs> you know, he was really into his film print. And he actually had a film print of one of his TV episodes. Right. Shoestring. Okay. The Link Up. Now, he also didn't have any Doctor Who episodes. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'll just put that out there now. The moment you mention somebody's a film collector, yes, everyone asks, have you got any missing Doctor Who episodes? No. And they haven't. No. Yeah, it's a strange obsession, that, isn't it? <laughs> Part of what we're going to move on to at, at another time. But So would you yeah. say that Time Slip was a peak of his career? Or, or I mean... I, I'd I hate say... to say it was a peak, but it, it's certainly the largest role he had. Yes. He was a major, he, to be honest, if you don't count Trainer, Commander Trainer in the episodes that he's in mm. as the villain, then Ian is actually the main villain for the burn up episodes. Mm. Trainer is a doddery old man in that, mm. trying to get revenge for being kicked out. Mm. Whereas Alpha 4, the character that Ian plays in those episodes, is very much the manipulative, cold mm. villain. Do you um, think, though, there's, um, I mean, I, I mean, you obviously you spoke to him, so do you yeah. feel that that should have led to bigger, higher profile roles, or no, is there a reason have. why it didn't particularly? I think it should have. I think the only reason I think it didn't lead to bigger roles was simply because it was a kid series. Right. People, I suppose you know, there is a, yes, there is a certain amount of that, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's that prejudice back, there was a lot of prejudice mm. on, on what you were doing. Um, I mean, even though it's 1970, there was still that sniffiness about doing tv mm. it wasn't as bad as it was no but there was a sniffiness about doing and particularly there was probably still a bigger sniffiness about doing kids tv mm. see i would have just thought that once I mean, you've landed a, a major role in what is a major tv series across a couple of years you'd kind yeah. of think your profile would be or your, your star would be in the ascendant that, oh yeah well but you look at some of the the stars of the kids tv shows from around then and they don't do anything else. Yeah, that's true. Michael McKenzie in yes. Ace Harrow, of One. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. And only, uh, even Nicholas Young doesn't really... I mean, well, only five Kessler or six years later, after Ace of Ones, he's playing virtually a walk-on part in Blake Seven, the yes. episode Space Four. Hmm. You know, it's... I think it's TV cool, was a lot... It is a cool a business, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a lot crueler back then, I think. You know, it, it could raise you on a pedestal for so many weeks and then just forget about you. Yeah. But I don't know. I think Ian had a remarkable career playing small bit parts. Mm. Which you know, goes all the way back to things like Emergency Ward 10 and yeah, Maygrave. He, he did Gary Halliday. Ah, Peter Halliday's brother. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, Gary Halliday was the, uh, the Doctor Who series before it was called Doctor Who and was about a man in a police box. Ah, okay. It was on Saturday nights in the same Doctor Who slot. Mm around 1960 62 on the imdb yeah. that's it yeah. yeah and it's i've laid out all of ian's scripts on the table mm-hmm. so they're easy to get to so you actually got the script for that yes wow gun runners he saved that it's on what's the word it's, it's on there's, there's normally there's bits of pieces of paper with them that things yeah. like offers of work and mm. covering letters right that's mm. there on its own Right. He was in one episode and he played a flight officer. Okay. Uh, Gary Halliday was about a pilot, if oh, I remember okay. right. right. Well, not, not that I ever saw it, but it was about a pilot. And it, it ran for two serials, I think it was, right. of about 10, 13 episodes oh, okay. each. Yeah, it was, was half hour. It was profile, yeah. And it was on Saturday nights. Yeah. And he, he was in that. He did other bits and bobs. He did three episodes of Emergency Ward 10 around that time as mm. well as... Dr. Chater, no, Mr. Chater, hmm. um, a surgeon. They're, they're three unconnected episodes right. within a few weeks of each other. So it's a sort of like he, uh, semi-regular, you might say. Yeah, that's it. It was one of those filler parts, as it were, that you need to create background artists. Remember how Chief O'Brien 
in the very early Star Trek episodes, mm. Star Trek Next Generation episodes, yes. how he appears. He, yeah. He's just there, isn't he? He it's doesn't necessarily almost, say anything. It's almost like uh, Klingo, isn't it, in, in MASH as well, whose career That's sort it, yeah. of slowly but surely the part grew over the course of the series as other people left, I suppose, yeah. as well. He was a day player and he was hired for the day in the early years and then eventually yeah, became a leading role. Yeah. I say he's in three episodes... 1961, 1962, and then he doesn't do any more. He did say that they were going to have him as a sort of regular background. Mm. But he said nothing came of it. But Mm. it's interesting to note, the producer of Emergency Ward 10, or it might have been the director, was John Cooper, who later went on to cast him in Time Slip. So he wasn't forgotten. It's still there. I mean, John Cooper does cast him in other things as well. A handful of other things. Mm. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so Sergeant Cork. Mm. He did a Sergeant Cork for John Cooper as well, in which, uh, again, he played a medical person, a pathologist, mm. who basically has to stand over the body and say how the body died. Right. Right, which seems to be a running theme. <laughs> he does exactly the same thing in an episode of Van der Valk. Right. Ten years later. Okay. Uh, there, there was typecasting then really yeah, he, I mean, he, he looked like a pathologist or people's idea of a pathologist was he did an episode of the first season of van der Velk in 1973 okay. that's one of the the videotape ones not yes. one of the eastern films and we're still in studio yeah yeah and he's in the studio looking over the body saying this 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 yeah. happened to it and there's a contusion on the subclavicle blah blah uh, he seems to do a lot of those sort of roles. Yes. I think he joked and said, I even got my own lab coat. At <laughs> uh, lab coat, actor's own, uh, as it were. <laughs> I, I kept it behind the door just in case I got phoned up. Wow. Yeah, uh, we're moving forward a bit to Van mm. der Valk. Mm. It's an episode called A Man of No Importance. Right. And it's directed by Douglas Camfield. Now, Ian did a lot of work for Douglas Camfield. Mm. And... We're very lucky that Douglas Camfield, well, I say, I say lucky, he was probably responsible for the deforestation of a sizable part of the Amazon <laughs> and the amount of paperwork that he sent out to actors. He Why was very organised. Oh, it's the military thing. It's every, yeah. Everybody needed to know everything and the best way to do it was to actually tell them. Yeah, and van der Valk is no exception. Wow. Even though Ian is only in one scene, he's also not in any of the location filming in Amsterdam. Right. Unlucky him. Yes. <laughs> he's still been sent copies of the filming schedule, of right. the shooting script for the location stuff, all of that sort of stuff, hmm. for no reason whatsoever, except for the fact that he's keeping people in the loop. He's part of the were. team. Yeah. I suspect every um, Douglas Camfield production, if you like, it was a bit like it was a military campaign, and everybody, even the privates and the corporals, had to be told everything. It's like it's leading yeah. from the front, isn't it? It's an interesting way to approach these things. Yeah, it's astonishing how Ian's paperwork gives a glimpse into how Douglas Canfield worked, mm. probably more so than it does Ian. Ian no, I, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm a terrible one for just getting handed bits of paper and shoving them in a file somewhere and forgetting they even exist. So, yes, and possibly not reading them either. So, I do understand that. Yeah. Michael Seeley, the writer who did Douglas's biography, mm. I scanned some of Ian's paperwork, mm. particularly for Van der Valk, yes. for him to, to go through, because the Van der Valk stuff, it's Thames Television. Mm. Now, we've all seen BBC paperwork and stuff mm. through you know, the PDFs on the DVDs and stuff, yeah. but apparently paperwork from Thames Television it is very rare, and there's no sort of record of how those sort of programmes were made compared to the BBC. But since Ian had this sort of stuff from Van der Velk, it's shone a bit of a light in a shady area, as it were. One of my regular co-hosts on this show often points out to me that how spoiled we are in terms of knowing about the history of Doctor Who and shows like that, because he's a fan of things like Neighbours and stuff like that, and actually finding out anything about shows like that and Dark Shadows and actually finding yeah. out why episodes aren't or where they are. There's literally no background on so much television. And yeah. I think Thames also, I, I suspect part of that kind of era of television in commercial terms was when another company came in and take over, they just chucked everything out from the old. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
It's to the point now, I'm not too sure on this, somebody will probably correct me, but it, mm. I think it came out on that footage detectives that's mm. on Talking Pictures, mm. where the guy in charge, Noel, said that there's, there's some shows, that associated rediffusion shows, that nobody knows who owns. Mm. I'm not too sure that you can sort of blanket... Yeah. blanket you can't clear the rights for them because they don't know who they belong to. Don't know who, they do belong to somebody, mm. but we just don't know who. <laughs> as it were. So do we feel that there are actually rooms full of archives somewhere that nobody knows what to no, do with them? I, I'd say definitely not paperwork. Paperwork is in the hands of people who got them in boxes in lofts and things. Yes. Like okay. So would you, th I mean, is it this terrible idea that as that generation, unfortunately, are leaving us, there are actually children and grandchildren just going, oh, what's this box of all? Oh, it's just paperwork. Chuck it in the yeah. bin. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and people like yourselves and us would be just going, well, oh, no, no. <laughs> say that i mean looking at the stuff that isn't scripts mm. there's, there's things like covering letters there's mm. a few of his contracts are in there as well right i won't go into detail about them because it's got how much he was paid and stuff but yes. there's little things like that which mm. you and i would throw away mm. you know I, well, if I, <laughs> my, my paychecks <laughs> i keep them for so long right then i, yeah. I destroyed them on the shredder mm. Right, but Ian didn't. He, he just put everything. Basically, his file consisted of. He even saved the original envelopes, mm. put the stuffs back into the envelopes, wrote in pencil on the front what it was, what it was, and who he played. I think I would have liked Ian Fairburn. I think I would have gone right. with Fairburn. I would have got on with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, to be honest, he saved everything. To be honest, he he'd bits and pieces all over the place. Did no, he have he, family? He lived on his own. He lived no. on his own. He had, I, I can't remember what he said. He had a sister who he, was, mm. he didn't speak to. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, a pretty solitary life he had. Mm. But he was known to everyone around. He'd often make us lunch and we went mm. out into his local sort of town. Mm. And he was saying hello to everyone. Mm. You know. Oh, yes. So. Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking that really it's an absolute quirk of fate that these files that you have survived because. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, at the time he gave them to us, I was more bemused by the fact that he'd given them to us. Mm. And, you know, mm. it became a bit matter of fact that there was these two boxes, mm. two huge um, archive boxes mm. in the corner of the living room mm. full of these old scripts. Yes. I, I was frightened to go through them at first. I mean, mm. there's, there's some stuff in there which I'd say, if not monetary value, it's, it's certainly of cultural value. There's yes. a Dennis Potter script. Right. A script for stand-up Nigel Barton. Right. Is this there. stuff that he was actually in? Or, yeah, or... He was in, in right. stand-up Nigel Barton. He played one of the school kids. Right. I don't think he's named. I think he's second child. Okay. He's in the school scenes. There's various shots of him when Nigel's asked to read something mm. out yes. from the Bible, and he picks a naughty bit from the Bible mm. to read out. Or was it ah, Nigel? Dennis. Or somebody else. <laughs> yes. Anyway, there's a sort of cutaway shots of him along with the other kids smirking. Right. And he's also in some of the location stuff where okay. you see the kids playing in the playground. I say kids, they were all adults, obviously. Right. But it's all there, yeah. as it were. Now, I was just thinking, were there also scripts for things that he actually ended up not being in that had been said? Yeah. yeah. This comes back to um, his working relationship with Douglas Canfield. One thing he did for Douglas was to fill in for actors who couldn't make rehearsals. Right. Douglas Canfield, he'd like to have rehearsals. He'd like to rehearse the actors to death, mm. as it were, so they knew exactly what they were doing. So that when he went on location or into the studio, he could leave the actors to do it and get on with the actual task of filming them. Right. And if his leading actor couldn't make a rehearsal, mm. he'd bring in someone like Ian. Right. Well, I say someone like it, and it may have been Ian all the time, to be okay. honest, given the amount of scripts. He got Ian to fill in for Francis Matthews mm. on two episodes of Paul Temple, mm. for which Ian seems to have got the reward of being in an episode, right. playing a character called Man. Man. <laughs> uh, on IMDb. The big family, man, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. On IMDb, it says Man in Chapel. Mm. Right, but the script refers to him as man. Wow. <laughs> right. But he also filled in for Ian Hendry oh, on good. The Lotus Eaters. Right. And, and for that, he got a role in two episodes playing the same character, a, a government official, an embassy official. Right. In the first two episodes of series two. 
Crikey. Lotus as we were talking about on the show a few weeks ago. And uh, that would have been foreign location work then, would it? Or, or was it, again, just the studio? No, it, it, was, it was just studio. Studio, right. He did, um, I think it's the penultimate episode of the first series. That's right. the bit where he filled in for Ian Hendry. And, and then and was given that role. And he ended up playing mm-hmm. this, this. It's a small role, embassy official, mm-hmm. I think it was called. The nice thing is, even though he wasn't in the episodes, we have the script for it. Yes. The episodes of Paul Temple that he did, mm-hmm. he filled in for, are, are all missing. Right. He filled in for Francis Matthews on the very first episode as well. Mm. I just right. have visions, really, of there being trunks full of this. You know when people say there are no existing scripts of things like the original Avengers series and what have you. Yeah. Somewhere out there, there's probably trunks full of these scripts that people are desperate to get their hands on that nobody knows about. I've got the paperwork here for Who Dies Next. That's it. That was the first episode of the Paul Temple series with Francis Matthews and Roz Drinkwater. Mm-hmm. And in amongst it all, we've got the, the cutting script. Yeah. For some bizarre reason. We've got the film schedule, we've got the shooting script, and we've also got the rehearsal script. Now, I believe this is one of the ones which we have. Here we go. I'll read this out. Mm -hmm. This is a note that Douglas Canfield attached to the script, and it's, this schedule is an attempt to reduce tiresome old-fashioned hanging about to a minimum. (laughs) especially in the early stages of rehearsal. The problem on this particular production is that Paul Temple, brackets Francis Matthews, and Steve Temple, Ross Drinkwater, are not available to rehearse until the 15th due to filming for another episode. In order to make maximum use of rehearsal time, understudies for Paul and Steve will be available so that guest artists can begin to learn their lines and moves over the first two days. Wow. So, they're, they're, you know, he, he's thinking of the actors. I don't think other directors would have done that. Is this all typed or, or handwritten? It's all typed. Right. There's some bits that are handwritten. There's a, there's a, a with compliments of the British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> um, looking forward to seeing you on the 13th. It's written. You can almost there. smell the gin coming off it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's signed Maggie Campbell AFN. Ah, okay. And there's a little doodle of a chair on it for some oh. bizarre reason. I don't know why. Sadly, we can't ask Ian why. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. He also is very diligent on his scripts. All his pencil notes are on them as mm. well. So script changes and stuff. And not just that. Mm. When he, speaking of the BBC now, mm. when they had script changes after the rehearsal scripts were issued, yes, they issued changes and they, they had colours, coloured bands across the bottom of the script. Oh, yes, for the, re- uh, the redrafts. Yeah. Redrafts. Ian slipped them into these scripts but didn't remove the other pages. <laughs> so you see the Which changes. is why, I'm coming on to the meat now, we have, with the invasion scripts that he has, wow. the missing scenes. This is for his Doctor Who. Yes. The invasion. He actually has some missing scenes in there, including the notorious scene, which was deleted, where Gregory is shot when unit forces rescue Professor Watkins wow. from the... Okay. Um, International Electromatics, that scene is still in there. Crikey. As well as the scene, the amended scene, where Ian, they couldn't film that scene. Mm. So Ian had to stand there in front of Kevin Stoney, looking very dishevelled and whatnot, and and actually say that Professor Watkins has been rescued off Mm. screen. Mm. And then he's shot by a Cyberman. (laughs) This is an interesting thing. I mean, this is is, um, what's in the the Doctor Who discontinuity guide. Mm. It said that it mentions the fact that this scene is obviously missing, that mm. they couldn't film it and they had to have Ian describe mm. it. I the love it. There's, a, there's a scene shot. later on in the invasion, isn't there, where somebody goes and we had to pass through. It must have been at least 500 Cybermen or whatever it was. That's it, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those sort of scenes. <laughs> Just think, yeah, we could not possibly film that. <laughs> but that that's an obvious one, whereby mm. the BBC couldn't film something like that. This one is, is more of a, they could have filmed it if they had the time. Wow. But it then cuts to a shot of Ian running down the sewer and being shot, shot in mm. the back by one of the Cybermen. Now, the discontinuity guide has it that it was a stand-in mm. that got shot. Mm. It wasn't. It was Ian. Wow. Right. Ian, he said he, he went, did the filming for it. He went down in, you know, in this, the set and was just told, mm. can you run along there and then get shot and scream? Mm. 
right? He wasn't told how long it would be, you know, where yeah. to fall or anything. And, and basically Douglas filmed it like a football match. <laughs> I love this idea, you know, I, I, what always gets me about television generally is, that, you know, yeah. those, those episodes that you watch and you think, oh, this scene's been stretched a bit. And, yeah. and you know that had they not had 22 and a half minutes, the screen would have been a lot shorter. Oh, yeah, or, or a lot he, longer, depending on. <laughs> he said he, he he fell to the ground, screaming quite, you know, loud and whatnot. And then when he'd finished, all the crew gave him a round of applause. So <laughs> he knew this, he'd done this just wrong. is this sort of stuff he said to you? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, this is it. I mean, his memories of the Doctor Who stuff were quite vivid. And this was before he'd started doing the conventions, really, because I know that the oh, tale yeah. in the telling can get elaborated, but this oh, is yeah, yeah. before he'd like actually sort of rejoined it. Yeah. Wow. He, he was most miffed about the fact that they said it had been a stand-in because mm. he very vehemently remembers that, that mm. scene because he got this round of applause from the crew. Mm. He'd also did the Macra Terror. The, yes. the script yeah. for that... You have the script for the Macra Terror. He only did one episode. He, this, he only has the episodes that he appeared in mm. for these one so he's yes. only got episodes two five and six of the invasion mm. and for the macro terror he's got episode one mm. uh, the interesting thing on that is the fact that on the cover it's called doctor who and the macro men mm. which is interesting doctor um, who and the macrame macrame <laughs> macro macrame yeah anyway there we go the one thing he remembers about that was and it tallies with what other members of the cast have said about mm. it is the fact that the macro were awful the models, the studio things, everyone was laughing at them. Right. And he says they decided to turn the lights out ah. and film them in the dark, quote unquote. Mm. And that seems to tally with what everyone else says. Everyone was laughing at the, the macro, how, how awful they were. See, more people should have laughed at that murker and someone might have switched out the lights then. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that definitely did needed the, the lights turning up. <laughs> Off, I think. He also has the first episode of Inferno as well. Right. And well, he's in that, all seven episodes. Of the, he's credited in all seven episodes. He's sort of, yeah. He's only got he's only got the first episode of that, but I think the first episode is the one that he's in the most of. Mm. He pops up and he doesn't have any dialogue in the later episodes. Mm. In fact, to be honest, I think in the first episode, he, he just gets to nod an, a hello to Walter Randall, who's fixing And, and, and sort of carry a clipboard, clipboard. That's it, yeah. But yeah. at least, the, presumably, the white coat did come out for that one. Yes, he got the lab coat for that. It's got to be dirty. <laughs> ah, go. so is, is there a receipt for the dry cleaning? He was up on the, um, the gantry, on the gantry yep. so many feet up, and he, he remembers that. He remembers having to pace up and down to get mm. his bearings, as mm. it were, because he wasn't particularly hot on heights. No, I think few uh, of us as, are, quite frankly. As was Pertwee, who was petrified, mm. apparently. Yeah. I mean, John Pertwee... We know him as a man of action and everything, mm. right? But apparently he was having to have... Uh, oh, we can all be a man of action on the ground, but being a man yeah. of action 50 foot in the air. I, the, you know, the one that still, the Doctor Who that still makes me giddy is when you've got Sophie Aldred on that gantry in Silver Nose. Oh, gosh, yeah. She's it actually made, up there, isn't she? frightens the living daylights out of me. And I'm, I'm sort of still holding on to the chair arms, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, she's definitely up there. It's a bit of a shame, really, because they've done all that effort to get that uh, model on the top of that tower in Dubai, and I keep thinking, oh, that's just CGI. <laughs> but back we then, were... there was real, yes. Where were we? We were in the middle of talking about Ian Fairbairn's Doctor Who appearances, and the one thing I was going to, I was going to ask you about is, because he was in episodes 2, 5, and 6 of The Invasion, yeah. now, were they filming two a fortnight rather than one a week at that point or would he literally have gone away for three weeks and everyone's hoping you're not going to get hit by a bus in the meantime before the fortnight thing came in with barry letts hmm. and i think that was with terror the autons yes um, so literally barry... you can have a part in say part one of a serial and part eight of a serial and yeah. have sort of six weeks off in between and and then the same character would come back and you'd literally and they just hope that you hadn't grown a beard or something well it'd be in your contract wouldn't it hmm. Not to grow a beard. Mm. You'd certainly get it shaved off. And I don't know, they wouldn't have had continuity pictures, would they? No, no. I was just thinking of that chap who got ill on the Green Death and therefore got replaced, if you see what's Yeah, it? Tony Adams, wasn't it? So the, um, ill. This is the thing. I mean, you also remember with, you watch uh, Patrick Troughton in mm. Seeds of Death. Mm. Is it Seeds of Death? Where oh, his, the, the sideburns. Sideburns <laughs> are huge in one episode and they're not so huge in another. 
So things like that. My favourite splice actually is Tom Baker's hair in Pyramids of Mars. In that oh episode. yeah, that's terrible. Episode two to three. Am I mad? Am I mad? I hate Pyramids of Mars. I think it's a dreadful script. It's very nicely directed, but the script is just full of so many holes. There's Tom Baker's hair as well. That irritates me as well. <laughs> I suspect it's because we first saw it as, you know, the compilation videos. And I think it was more obvious, I think, when there wasn't the episode in between. But it gives you little bits of insight into the production of television and how it works and where the breaks are. You can see what's yeah. There's another little thing of connecting to Doctor Who again. Mm. A little letter from Michael Bryant. Mm. It's, it's only a tiny uh, letter. And I, it was in the bottom of one of the crates. And it's, mm. dear Mr. Fairbairn, thank you very much for your letter. I'm very sorry, but there isn't a part I can offer you in my Doctor Who production. Wow. However, I will certainly keep you in mind for the future. And thank you for writing. Yours sincerely, Michael Bryant. So this is the era when actors still had to write letters to pitch for work to people they'd work. Yeah, you say that. He's got on the back of his Zedcar scripts... These are from the 60s, aren't these? Isn't the fifth episode of Zedcast the big right, catch? Right, that early, okay. Right. 62. Uh, that's it, yeah. Big uh, catch. Here we go. Big catch, sorry. Mm. Yeah. I've got it here now, right? Episode five, The Big Catch by Alan Pryor. Now, mm. on the back page, he has written down a list of people to write to. Right. To work. And there's a lot of familiar names mm. and companies. There, this aspect productions, this Hammer Films. Mm. Uh, he's got a telephone number for that. Impact Telefilms, mm -hmm. and then he's got names of producers and things. There's, there's a James Gilbert, Terence Dudley, Duncan Wood, brackets Benny Hill. Oh, yeah. I say Terence Dudley, mm. Maurice Barry. Maurice they're, Barry. They're all listed there, and yeah. some bits have been written over. Right, as if he actually had this on, you know, he was on the phone mm. talking and he was doodling, mm. you know, and there's, there's all this stuff there. And as, as I say, it, it just gives a, an impression. Was he a copious doodler going uh, through well, the paperwork? There's not sort of cartoons or anything like no. that, but he just he puts it, little it just things like tells maps. you that thing about people sort of hanging on the phone, waiting for people to get people, and just yeah, on the Vandervelt script. As I said before, he's playing a pathologist mm. with a body in front of him, talking to Michael Latimer, van der Velt's oppo. Mm -hmm. And he's drawn a little picture of a stick man on a right. table, lying down mm. on the slab, and it, he's put in his position with, a, with an arrow showing the movement of the character. He right. has to sort of walk round the table as he's saying the dialogue, and he's put it there as a, a little diagram. Mm. It looks quite funny, actually, with this little stick man as the body, as it were. It fascinates me, though, uh, you know, because, again, that gives you an insight into what rehearsals must have been like, you know, actors just taking notes, scribbling away and everything like that. But what I'm, I'm seeing here is when I scroll down his uh, IMDb list, he's, whilst, like you say, not necessarily a household name, the productions he appeared in are ones that have sort of lived on in the memory. You know, I mean, he's, he's got a very late career, Last of the Summer Wine appearance. He's yeah. got what shows like The Professionals, Shoestring, The Cedar Tree, The Aneedin Line, and all yeah. very small parts of these TV classics, you know, Doctor Who, Spy Trap, The Lotus Eaters, like we mentioned earlier, you know, the Time Slip, obviously Van der Valk, you know, but uh, Zed Cars, I mean, and Softly, Softly, and Adam Adamant lives, you know. Yeah, yeah, What's I mean, they're, they're, they're all here. <laughs> uh, and uh, Sergeant Cork as well, you know, which of course yeah. there's, there's so little information. That's, I love, I mean, it's a lovely series, Sergeant Cork, but there's so little known about it in real terms. I have that. I'm holding it here. Wow. The actual script. It's got, it's The Case of the Killer's Mark. The Case of the Killer's Mark. No, by Ted Willis. Yeah. Right. Let's see who, who was in it. Tote Townley was in it. Right. Carmel McSherry, Jeffrey oh. Seagull, Robert James. And there's Ian Fairbairn. Wow. Um, he's halfway down the cast. He plays Dr. Sobers. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember. This is, he's basically a pathologist. And inside, there appears to be... Oh, there's blue pages in there. So mm -hmm. he's put the um, amendments in as well. Right. okay. To find and he, and even, he's even in a couple of Maigret as well, isn't he? The... There's no Maigret scripts. No. They're not here. There's a few things here that are not on his IMDb. Right. And he did two episodes of General Hospital, the daytime soap, when it was a daytime soap. Mm, yeah, yeah. Again, similar to what he did on Emergency Ward 10. And again, also for John Cooper. Mm. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Who the, you know, that's what it comes down to, isn't it, really? <laughs> I think the reason that's not on the IMDb thing is the fact that the, the episodes aren't named. Mm. I don't think anyone could be bothered to actually put every well, episode well, of... General, uh, General Hospital was on forever, wasn't it? Oh, it yeah. It really was. Yeah. And, I mean, I summer holiday afternoons. They were just... It was recorded like Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, two episodes at a time. Right. At the same time. And it looks as if they were done as live, mm. you know, like Crossroads was. Yes, yeah. And I say, Ian played a man from the ministry, ah. the Ministry of Health, who was investigating an infection in a ward, and they're going to have to close the ward down, mm. quote-unquote. So, so the, all the stuff in front of you from Ian's archive, what's your favourite? What's the thing that you think, oh, I'm really glad to be able to have that in my hand? I think one of the, I mean, in some respects, it's one of the saddest okay. things. It's a script from Detective. Right. You know, the anthology series mm. BBC did. I think Maygray was on one. Rupert Davis presented it. Yeah. Um, it was a sort of anthology crime series. And it was a mixture of, you know, new detectives and real life murder things. There's mm. an episode called Crime of Passion right. about Dr. Crippin. Okay. Who, who we all know. Yes. Well, not, not personally, but no, we, no, all no, no. we all know the story. We know the story. Captured by radio telephone on a ship heading for America. But he did what he did. It's Douglas Canfield again. And he did what he always did for Douglas Canfield. He filled in for the lead actor, mm. played Dr. Crippin. Mm. Now, it's if you look at the script, there's a lot of notes in it, a heck of a lot of notes. And he's, mm. he's diligently put in changes here, crossed out stuff there, mm. his movement, what, what his character does, and he's filling in for, for Bernard Hepton. Right. And Ian says this, it's not evident in the paperwork, but Bernard Hepton couldn't do it because he had another piece of work to do. Mm. He had some other filming to do. And the filming on that overran mm. to the point that Douglas Canfield took him to one side and said, we're getting near recording this. You'll have to fill in for him on the recording now. Crikey. Right, and he nearly he, 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 right so up close. Two yeah. days, I think he said two days before the actual recording, Bernard Hepton was free. He managed mm. to wrangle out of it. And mm. This is probably a good thing of Bernard Hepton. He managed to actually do the role, as yes. it were. Sadly, the episode doesn't exist in the archives. What gets so me we about that, though, is, is, I mean, yeah, because Detective, according to this, uh, he actually presented it as May Gray. <laughs> That was it, Rupert yeah. Davis. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, would you, I mean, if you were the actor doing those, would you have had to hand those notes to the person who actually did the part? Because, I mean, I if you're know. getting the direction, I, I, I can't really see how that know. would work, really. I really don't know. This is the story that Ian told, is the yeah. fact that he nearly ended up being Dr. Crippin in that mm-hmm. episode, playing the, I know he said the title character, but it's not mm. the title character, it's the main mm. character in it. And what, is that looked on as a turning point in Bernard Hepton's career? Could it well I don't have been? Know. T- I know, I know the life not lived, you know, the sliding doors thing is very difficult to yeah. sort of say, but you kind of think, you know, if he, that had happened, wh- whether his career would have gone in a completely different direction. Yeah. I mean, I've got the stuff here now in front of me for, for Crime of Passion. The date for it is, ah, here we go, 1968. Dear Mr. Fairbairn, we are pleased that you have agreed to stand in for Bernard Hepton during rehearsal of Crime of Passion, and I enclose a script, rehearsal schedule, and a rough sketch map of the area for your information. Wow. Yours sincerely, Douglas Canfield. That is amazing. That is absolutely yeah. amazing. I, I mean, do pe- I, I, know, I know it's probably a, a, an impertinent question, but I mean, because I know we're doing this now, but do people know you've got this stuff? I mean, the oh, people... Yeah. Richard Bignall's aware that of the, the invasion stuff. stuff. Yeah for the simple reason that the stuff, there's copies of the scripts, the rehearsal scripts for Invasion in the BBC archives, but nothing else. Mm. It's a sad fact that the later Troughton stories mm. for Doctor Who, the archive is very poor. Right. The paperwork, it appears that Peter Bryan, Derek Sherwin, didn't keep the paperwork mm. much and tended to throw it away, we assume. Mm. But it's their stories that are very poorly thing, and the invasion. As I said, we've got sort of things like cutting scripts, and mm. uh, I mean, I know there is a lot of talk about that era, particularly of scripts falling through and having to be yeah. done. So there is possibly there were fewer redrafts because yeah, just, oh yeah, absolutely. It's just get you know, here's the words, go and say them. <laughs> 
but things like that don't exist. I mean, the the other thing as well, I, if I'm aware of the fact that certain things are being released on DVD or particularly mm. with network, network DVD are aware of the fact that we've got certain scripts. Mm. They put PDFs of Ian's Emergency Ward 10 mm. scripts on, um, on the release. volume three mm. of the DVD release. And there's also PDFs of his time slip mm scripts and paperwork on the the dvd release of that i can't remember any others that we might have done but they are still there that's the they're still there thing. they're free to anyone who needs copies of them so you know. as a career though do you think i mean did you keep in touch after this uh, with ian i was there basically right up until he died right ian was one of those people who'd phone you yeah um, out of the blue just for a chat oh that's nice you know, but it I mean, it's nice that you managed to form that relationship. If you see, oh, yeah, that. you'd phone up, you'd be watching the telly, and you'd phone up, and then you'd spend half an hour just talking about nothing to him. Um, the main things about the conversations were things he bought at the pound shop that day, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and I'd try to get a word in and mention because I, I knew he liked film and he knew mm. I liked films, and we were chatting away about the classic one is I just bought the day the earth caught fire ah. on DVD. And was astounded to see it had this red tint on some of the scenes mm. at the beginning and at the end. I don't know if you're aware of it. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think I've got um, the same, same edition. <laughs> and I, I asked him, I, I mentioned to him casually, oh, I just bought The Day the Earth Caught Fire. It's got these, it, it, it's a, we were talking about odd prints. Mm. That was it. And I said, I just bought that, blah, blah. And he suddenly butted in, ah, I'm in that, oh. which took me slightly aback that apparently it was one of the first things he did out of drama school. Oh, nice. in, now, it's a bone of contention between me and Ian about who, where he actually is in, in, in the mm. film. There's a bit where Janet Munro goes back home. Yes. And towards the end, where oh, there's no, all, uh, those, all those people in the street playing with water and chucking yes. water everywhere and stuff. The end of the world's he's coming. One yes. of those people. Mm. He's bare-chested. Right. Right. Ian's one of them people. He says he remembers pushing the car. There's a ah. bit where they put the, the pushing a car. Oh, the Morris Minor with the, the thing on the roof. Yes. That's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. The... And he also remembers throwing something through a window. Ah. Throwing a, a rock through a window. Now, I freeze-framed it on the person I think looks astonishingly like Ian. Mm. And I've shown it to Ian. And he says, oh, no, that's not me. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a young, 20-year-old, bare-chested gentleman mm. with sweating like what's it uh, whether he's a bit embarrassed by it mm. i don't know but just that, 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 I, oh I, god i was sure recast that. by somebody else <laughs> that's it you know but he said he was in it yeah and, well, and that only came out because of that right, conversation you know, that it's not in his imdb no because obviously it's just, just an extra on it i mean some some, some extras put yeah, you, you sometimes see uncredited, don't you, on, on the yeah, credits? Yeah, that's, that's like that. it. I mean, well, well, it's a Val Guest film, so most of the cast was uncredited. Michael Caine isn't credited, is he? For, that's true, yes. Yeah, <laughs> he also did a drama-rama, oh, yeah. uh, kids series in the 80s, which was an anthology series on, on um, ITV, mm. TVS. Right. Well, trying to get all the TVS stuff is almost impossible, isn't oh. it? Uh, it, it's Peter Grimwade this time, ah. very well-known Doctor Who director. Yes. Directing and writing it. This is oh, this is, this is the vengeance of Peter, isn't it? <laughs> yes. This is, this is what makes it interesting. Now, we've got the rehearsal script. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the early script, which allegedly has a bit more... Um, <laughs> Litigious <the> stuff. <laughs> yes. Right. This is actually the, the proper script. Right. But it's the one they a, could transmit, yes. Yeah, but there's a load of TVS bump in yeah. amongst it. Like the map, there's a welcome to TVS, and it's like the wine list from a cheap hotel. <laughs> um, telling you, how, yeah, welcome to TVS, this is where we're located, right? We, we, we serve tea and biscuits in the mm. morning, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's on a very nice quality bonded paper as well. Uh, so this it, it, it was the good old days, as it were. But it, I'll, I'll read this out. It's Peter Grimwade sent Ian a thank you note. Ian played a commissionaire, the commissionaire of the TV studios in Come Up and Sub Captain Cat, which is about an arrogant actor in the leading role of a science fiction series who gets his comeuppance, as it were. So mm-hmm. this is what Peter wrote. Dear Ian, a brief note to say thank you for your rendering of Ted 
in Captain Cat, not to mention your Herculean performance on the high wire. Now, this is something I didn't realise. I thought that was just a, some, some, some kind of thing that happened off, off camera. Oh, right. But what, what it was, Captain Cat was played by Alfred Marx, oh. a veteran comedy Yes, actor. yeah, absolutely. Very popular in the 70s, I think mm. it was. He was in things like Joker's Wild with Barry Sweeney's Sweeney's as well, wasn't he? There's a bit where he's actually suspended from the ceiling doing a weightless scene or something. Right. In character. That's not Alfred Marx. Ah, that's it's Ian. Ian. <laughs> <laughs> right. The things you find out. The things you, know. you find out. Amazing. The other thing about the script that Ian saved is mm. it's done something rather peculiar with it in and, that it's impossible to read now because he seems to have put, reordered his script in the order of everything being filmed. Oh, okay. And on the front page is a list of numbers. Right. And it's saying, you know, it's two, five, two, three, five, nine, 11, 15, right. 29, blah, 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 blah. And it goes through all. And he's reordered the entire it's script. Got, has it got one of those push through uh, split pins at yes, the top it has. corner? Ah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so that's the order with Phil. That's, that's I, an interesting thing in itself. But the, the mysterious code of Ian Fairbairn. Yeah. I you crack that, you'll probably find a treasure chest somewhere full yeah, of. I, I mean, I was interested to read it to see if there was any stuff in there that had been cut out. Because mm. it, it's actually, for saying it's only a 25 minute thing, it's mm. a very thick script. It's about. Yes. Wow. But this, I started, this obviously I started a, reading it and found what's happening here. And then I realised all the pages were out of order. And I thought uh, originally that he'd probably dropped it on the floor and it had split. He'd put it, uh, he'd put it all back together again in the wrong order. But if you look on the front, it, it explains what these numbers are on the front. Well, that was obviously, a, it really was a passion project for Peter Grimwade, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I say the fact that he sent a, a, thank, a, a rather lengthy thank you. He said, it, it's all come together surprisingly well. The editing is complete, though most of the dubbing remains to be done. You make a most convincing commissionaire, though I hope we can manage something a little more glamorous next time. Wow. Again, many thanks, and I hope you are not permanently incapacitated by the truss. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. I wanted to mention that. Of course, Peter Grimway wasn't around lot much after that, was no, he? No, not really. I mean, this is it. Would Peter Grimway given Ian a, a different role in a later production? You know? Amazing. But still, I at least had the lawyers on standby. <laughs> but the other one as well, I, I said I was, I'd been watching the goodies, mm. and he suddenly blurts out, oh, they filmed an episode at my house. I, I got 20 quid. <laughs> <laughs> they filmed outside his house, and right. he, he got given 20 quid for it. Amazing. He said, I signed a what's it, and they gave me 20 quid for filming outside my house. Crikey. But I, I don't know what, he, he can't remember any any other no. detail about it, other than the fact that he had, to, cars couldn't park outside his house, and he had to keep his front door shut. Wow. But, you know, somewhere in that massive BBC archive, there will be a receipt for that somewhere. That's it, indeed. <laughs> there, there'll be a receipt. That This is the thing I think Andrew Pixley said. The BBC have the power of the Daleks with Patrick mm. Trout, and he's got a plaster on his finger. Hasn't he? In some of the mm, shots yes. of him in the TARDIS. Mm, yes. We've got in, in the archives there is the incident report for it. Yeah. It's what they had to do what actually happened. Yeah. He burnt his finger on a on one of the light bulbs on the console. There's a report there by the <laughs> production assistant or whoever it is. There's there's something from the, the BBC nurse who attended him. It's all there. Can't keep the episode. We haven't but... got is the actual episode. <laughs> They Amazing, didn't save that. Isn't it? It's, it's yeah. a typical BBC, that is, yeah. isn't it? It is indeed. Do you think he looked back on his career fondly, happily? Was he was he proud of his career? He was certainly. Was he you know, disappointed that he didn't? He was certainly like a pig in mud at, towards the end because mm. he did like. He loved conventions. He loved mm. going to conventions. He, he wasn't necessarily the most interesting person on stage to interview. Mm. He, he seemed to sort of. Not clam up, but he wasn't a great orator like that. But mm. you got him into conversation mm. on a one-to-one basis. Mm. Everything just, it just poured I think out. sometimes people, though, they, if they don't, even if they don't sort of play a massive role, they like to be remembered. You know, they like to, the fact that they turned up and were there. You know, that's, oh, yes. that's yeah. an important thing. It's interesting, we were talking earlier about Evil of the Daleks being released yeah. on the video. And I was wondering, you know, there's a long sequence that has no dialogue, the way they're going through the house and the traps 
Yes. And yes. I was wondering how much of that is based on the recollection of the actors, because otherwise, how would we know what was going on with those yeah. bangs and crunches? I mean, I know it would all be scripted, but it's very difficult to actually say, oh, well, the shape of that pendulum was this, unless somebody's actually said, oh, well, they had this big axe pendulum coming down or whatever. You know? mm. those little, no, but those little sort of bits of the actors who were in the room at the time who were paying attention and actually, you know, might well, actually recollect of, these things. You know, I say there's a lot of notes on Ian's scripts, little mm. scribbles in pencil, and the way dialogue gets changed, even mm. down to the fact that, you know, something like, you know, the dialogue with there, uh, it'll say something like, can you help me? Mm. And then he's crossed it out and it's, it's changed it to, please, are you able to help me? Mm. You know, th little things like that, the way it phrases. He was diligent in putting things like that into the script. Fabulous. And keeping them. Well, I think we're pretty much up to time there. Uh, was it, I mean, I'm assuming it was a happy and joyful and presumably totally coincidental meeting for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, I remember... In I addition remember to your life that came out of nowhere and, you know, yeah. sort of stuck with we you for, what, 10 years? We went to see him. We knew that he had the time slip scripts. Mm. This is back when we, we first approached him. We knew he had... Mm. He, he told us, oh, I've got the time slip scripts. And he'd saved his tie, the tie he wore as Dr. Wow. Fraser and the waistcoat that he wore as Alpha 4 in the burn-up episodes. Mm -hmm. Right. He'd also saved one of the caption photographs. There's a bit in The Year of the Burn-Up where something's playing on a CSO TV screen mm. telling you the history of Commander Trainer. And okay. there's photographs there of Trainer shaking hands with people. And mm. they're all specifically posed for photos. Yes. It's a kind of a newsreel type thing. Very simply done. But the photos were caption photos that were filmed on, a, on another camera and then CSO onto this screen yes Ian had one of those photos he actually managed to get the photo from that right him shaking hands with Dennis Quilly yeah as it were so there were these tempting things for us when we were doing the website mm. that we had to see mm. so we, we, I say we went down with Spencer and Spencer Banks mm. and it was between Ian and Spencer it was a big reunion mm. You know, they hadn't seen yeah, each other. And he was just absolutely charming. And his first thing he said to us was, I've always been here. <laughs> yeah. Right? How could you not find me? Yeah. You know. and he, It he is amazing just, how people can just slip between the cracks like that. You know, he was so disappointed not to have been at, at the reunion. Yeah. Having said yeah. that, he attended every time slip event that we did. After after that. That. Yeah. We, did a, we, we made a documentary, which is on the DVD. Mm -hmm. He's interviewed in that. We made a little production, which is on the network DVD, mm -hmm. which was actually going to be part of the documentary originally, but we decided not to put it on there. But it's a little capsule episode mm -hmm. in which he plays Dr. Fraser again, who's now in charge of the Ministry of Forward Development. But it's, he was just enthusiastic about Time Slip. He remembered it all and said, you know, it was a great part. And uh, he said that those sort of parts didn't come very often for him, but he did have a very very varied career mm. you know he also were, was a very good seamster i think that's the word costume maker and he made, oh, right. he made this is the other thing he made costumes for productions right as well that, that, that's uh, you always hear about actors having other talents yes, yes to um, keep them to yeah, basically keep them in in cash for, for oh, the yeah, yeah. but he, he made from the door yeah. yeah he made costumes for people crazy and stuff crazy. amazing <laughs> anyway there we go Fabulous. Well, thank you very much for talking to me about Ian Fairburn's career today. That's all right. Anytime. I'm here. And if anyone who's researching stuff for, you know, TV stuff and whatnot, you know, get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter. Brilliant. And you, you can sort of have a look at the, the stuff I've got. Fabulous. You take care then, Andy. Thank you very much. Right. Cheers. Many, many thanks to Andrew Mark Thompson for taking us through the personal archive of Ian Fairbairn today. If you want to contact Andrew about his archive, you should follow his Twitter account at Andy Drews, A-N-D-Y-D-R-E-W-Z. Thanks also should go, as ever, to everyone here at Fab Radio International, and of course to you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care. <laughs>